what's going on everybody and welcome into another edition of B-Shafe Daily. Brendan Schaefer here with you live from Jupiter, Florida as Cardinals camp rolls on on Friday, March 18th. Recording this bad boy in the evening time as it was another full day down at Cardinals camp. We got our first look at the team in a game setting this season with the opening of Grapefruit League play. Cardinals defeated the Astros 4-2 over at Bush Stadium. We'll get into a little bit from that game as Adam Wainwright got the start, saw him for the first time this season. Cardinals got a home run from Andrew Kisner, who was making the start in lieu of the still-absent Yadier Molina, but there was an update on that on Friday. If you haven't seen it already, Yadi will be at camp as of Monday. That's according to Cardinals manager Ali Marmol. Still citing personal reasons with regard to the reason behind Yachty's absence thus far at camp. I would imagine when Yachty gets here on Monday, if all of that goes according to plan, we'll get the opportunity to talk with Yachty, and he may or may not share some of what you know had been keeping him away from camp. If it's a personal issue, it wouldn't surprise me if he, he keeps it at that and sort of doesn't want to divulge. But bottom line, seems as though Yachty will be arriving to Cardinals camp on Monday, which is a big deal considering uh, kind of the fanfare surrounding Yachty or Molina, Adam Wainwright, potential final season for those two. 305 career starts between the two as far as uh, starts by the same battery. That's climbing up the list, as we know, in MLB history. And they're just, I believe, 19 behind, something like that, 19 or 20 that to overtake the all-time record. And certainly that is within reach if both can have a healthy season. But that wouldn't have been the case, right, if Yachty decided not to show up to camp and, and some some of his personal issues, whatever they might be, bled into the season, then maybe you would have seen that uh, be at risk and could have been at risk as well if the lockout had continued much longer to where the 162-game season would not have been possible. And even now with the doubleheaders, you figure that your standard every fifth day as a starter, you're not going to have maybe quite as many starts as you otherwise would if, if it weren't for doubleheaders kind of taking part of the season and condensing it. But certainly within reach to get to 20 or 21 starts for Yachty and Wayno. So we'll look forward to being able to discuss that throughout the season as those two get closer and closer to that record. Uh, saw some magic from Nolan Arenado today in the first spring game. Not a surprise there. We'll get into that a little bit. But I've gone almost three minutes without discussing and, and beginning to dive into the news of the day, which is, of course, Jack Flaherty and the situation surrounding his shoulder. As we finally did get news from John Moselock on Friday, the news we'd really been waiting for for several days this week as Jack Flaherty, it was revealed, was going under an examination for his shoulder, had been experiencing some discomfort. He told us Wednesday that that was the case, that it's been kind of lingering since late last season. We know that Jack Flaherty had the shoulder strain that put him on the shelf and, and on the injured list late in the 2021 campaign. If you recall, he tried to make it back at the end of the season, pitched a little bit in relief, but not a whole lot. And then when it came to the wildcard game, he was on the roster, but uh, the Cardinals were, of course, eliminated by the Dodgers in that game. And so their postseason dreams ended there, as did Flaherty's notion of being able to stretch out a little further and see how far he might be able to go uh, we never really did get to find out well he was dealing with some issues in the shoulder this week they have gone for the examination the initial exam and then second opinions ultimately that resulted in on friday 
Jack Flaherty making a trip to Los Angeles, Dr. Neil Elitrosh giving him a PRP injection in the shoulder, and what that's going to do for Flaherty's availability, it's going to sideline him for a little while, and it basically guarantees he will not be ready for the start of the regular season as he's going to go on a two weeks of no-throw program, which just means he's got to rest. He cannot throw for the next couple of weeks. That takes you into early April, and of course the Cardinals season begins on April 7th. Even if he were able to ramp right up at that point, he wouldn't be built up for innings. He wouldn't be, you know, he wouldn't have faced live hitting. He wouldn't have thrown off a mount. It's not officially official, but it is. Like, Jack Flaherty's not going to be on the opening day roster. Will ultimately have to begin the season on the injured list, and that certainly is a shame after he was unable to really be very healthy and, and very much of a contributor last season due to injuries, had the oblique that sidelined him for a good long while in the middle of the year, and then had the shoulder soreness that put him on the shelf toward the end of the season. So what does that mean now for Flaherty's outlook in 2022? It is a little bit tricky. If you were following the news on Friday afternoon, you probably saw a number of reporters tweeting out the information that was relayed by John Mosellock, which was that he's got a slap tear in the shoulder, and it's not a muscle. It was initially some of the tweets you might have seen, a slap muscle tear. It's it's not a muscle. What it is is the, uh, the, the labrum. It's essentially a labral tear, and the slap portion of that stands for superior labrum anterior to posterior, which... I had to ask my wife, who's an occupational therapist, like, what the hell does any of this mean? Basically, it's the the cartilage there in the shoulder. That's your labrum. And it's the cartilage ring around the inside of your shoulder joint that helps hold your humerus in place. And again, this is word for word from my, my wife, the occupational therapist, who I said, hey, what what's a slap tear? Like, you know, sometimes we get into these uh, these medical conversations when it comes to athletes because injuries take place; they're part of sports. And when that happens, I say I gotta I gotta consult some outside assistance, and my wife is really good about that. And uh, so it's a labral tear, and and that sounds big and bad and scary. And and certainly, I think a lot of people when they saw that this afternoon being reported, they're like, "Well, there goes Jack Flaherty." Right? Doesn't sound good to say you've got a essentially a torn labrum, but it's always what degree is is torn and how bad is it? Is it a small tear and how could it be repaired? Well, the the fact of the matter is, based on some later reporting, Derek Gould, I know, wrote about it. Katie Wu reported in a tweet basically saying that this is not the issue that Jack Flaherty is having right now. The tear is something that a lot of people really jumped onto, but according to their reporting, which if you follow either of those folks, you know to be trustworthy and, and responsible with their reports. And so I'm happy to, to give them credit and share it here so that you guys are getting the best and most up-to-date information. Though there is a slap tear in Jack Flaherty's shoulder, evidently that's something that's been around going back four years or so. Even even in the year where Jack Flaherty had the, the breakout Gibson-like second half of 2019, that was already something that, according to, to Katie and to Derek, that was already going on in Jack's shoulder. And so this new inflammation, this new soreness is not necessarily related to that. And so that was that was kind of lost in translation, I think, a little bit 
maybe during this afternoon's session. I was not there as a result of uh, being in the middle of my radio show on KTGR at that time. Just unfortunate timing. We got the, the text from PR as I was uh, in an Uber to to pick up my vehicle from a, a local Jupiter Auto place. And I'm going to do this, too. I'm going to make sure I look up the name of this this auto automotive place that took care of my car today because they did a great job, and I was darn concerned with the way things were going. It's Master Auto Care in Jupiter. If y'all are ever down here, I couldn't recommend Steve at Master Auto Care highly enough. They're not a sponsor because why would they be, uh, given this is probably primarily a St. Louis-based show uh, not sure how many of our listeners are down here in Jupiter on a regular basis, but I got to say, this was a, a scary situation for me, driving all the way from Missouri, 18, 19 hours, whatever it was, getting the uh, check engine light on the vehicle to come on, and then being like, well, am I going to be able to drive this thing home? But they were able to figure out kind of what was going on with it and uh, help me out there. So big ups to Master Auto Care. But basically, I was in an Uber going back to pick up my, my car, when I got the text from Cardinals PR that Mosellac was going to be uh, meeting with reporters outside the Cardinals clubhouse, and I had to go right to my radio show after that. So I uh, I, I had no way to, to be there and be able to ask the questions, unfortunately. it was I thought it was going to be Saturday morning, and I was going to be in the clear uh, with the updates on that, but they ended up having Mo come out on Friday night. And so while I have heard the audio from that exchange with reporters, I was not able to contribute to it. And you think about the way this broke down, it's not like Mosellac came out and said, oh, there's a slap tear, and that's why he's having all these issues. It's not what he said, but he was later on in the session asked about, you know, what, what it exactly was, and he said that, well, he's, he's got this tear. But you could also say that, that, you know, based on the fact that he's pitched with this for years, and I think this is part of what the Cardinals had been trying to identify, right? Because all they know is, okay, Jack Flaherty is continuing to report soreness in the shoulder, and, you know, discomfort that crops up from time to time. He told the team about this before the lockout in early December. So going into the lockout, the team knew that some things were going on, that they were trying to give him a plan to work through in the offseason. Problem was, when, when that creeps back up during his offseason program at whatever point it did, then Flaherty was unable to communicate with the team to say, hey, here's what's going on now. How do we want to approach this? He was kind of flying blind. And it's not that he doesn't have trainers and, and, and people that he can work with, but the people with the team were not able to be debriefed on uh, the latest happenings with, with that situation. And and obviously, we haven't talked to, to Reyes in a couple of days, but the same could be said about him. And, I, and I'm and i going to dive in a little bit on, on Reyes, which Mosellock did give an update on him as well, and it's not a great one. He's going to be out longer than, than Flaherty uh, as far as just a, a concrete, firm timeline for Alex Reyes. But when it comes to Flaherty, they're not really giving a timeline on how long it's going to be. They're, they're basically saying no throw two weeks, and then TBD after that. We're going to see how he responds, how the shoulder feels, and, and where maybe they can decide to go from there. But I think it's really interesting that you, you, you kind of have these parallel tracks of, okay, he's had this tear, and, and based on reporting, it's been something that's been in there for a while didn't impact him for the longest time. Now he's having shoulder issues. And remember, he had that oblique injury that happened from batting, right? That wasn't related to pitching when he had that injury take place last season in the middle of 2021. But then in the aftermath, the shoulder ends up maybe getting a little bit more taxed, perhaps, as he's working his way back. Uh, the oblique muscles aren't, aren't, you know, they're building up strength as uh, the, the, the muscles get back to full health. 
and things weren't feeling quite right, which is when he went on the IL with the shoulder strain. And all these working pieces of the body are obviously interconnected and, and supportive of one another. And so when when one part of the body isn't feeling great, maybe that overtaxes your shoulder and results in kind of the, 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 so, the soreness, I should say, or the discomfort that Flaherty has been dealing with. And he's been open about the fact that that's, that's kind of been going on since last season. It's obvious that that's been the case given he... He, I mean, the team said it was a shoulder strain when he went on the IL uh, the, the final time last year and then came back maybe in the couple in a couple weeks of the season. I don't remember the exact date, but you guys probably recall what I'm talking about there. And so I just think there's a couple of takeaways here, which is one, if you saw that, that labral tear and it made you freak out, I'm not saying there's not reason to be concerned about that because you don't, you don't want to have a, a tear in your, in your labrum in any situation as a pitcher. But it's apparently something that he's been able to navigate through, you know, physical therapy and things of that nature to be able to pitch through it and, and continue to have range of motion. Uh, you know, if you if you were to Google it, that's one of the things that it would say you'd be concerned about just as a, an everyday person, not necessarily a professional pitcher. But you just be concerned about range of motion and, and, and certain things with your shoulder to be able to to just go about your day to day if you've got those situations. But obviously, Flaherty, as a, a pro pitcher, has access to good medical care and guidance to be able to. Uh, continue to, to rehab situations like that and be able to pitch through it as he's done. But if you've got discomfort, whatever the reason, you're not going to be able to continue. And so I think that's what has led to the PRP injection that he got from Elitrosh on Friday, which, again, did take place in Los Angeles. Neil Elitrosh is the uh, the team doctor for the Los Angeles Dodgers, but that's not uncommon because he is just the expert in his field. You'll have agents and teams uh, from across the game recommend that their players go to Elitras for similar situations because he's the best in the business in this particular specialty. And so that's not uncommon for those who say, oh, he wants to go f- play for the Dodgers. Well, maybe, but we that's not what this is about in, in this particular instance. And so uh, just the PRP injection, they're trying to promote healing in there, trying to get the inflammation down, the discomfort down, and to be able to afford Jack the opportunity to get healthy and, and pitch. That's, that's what he's looking to do here in 2022. Friday's news certainly did not close the door on that possibility. He could very well be be back in the early portion of the season, but they're not really going to give any sort of timeline just yet because they want to wait to see how the shoulder responds to the treatment that he just received on Friday. And so Moselak said he did believe that Jack would probably return to camp rather than stay in L.A. for the next couple of weeks, but he wasn't 100% on that, so we'll, we'll hopefully be able to give you more insight on that uh, as to whether we do see Flaherty reappear in the coming days in, in Cardinals camp or not, but stay tuned to B-Shape Daily uh, for, for those updates and for any others. As, as For as long as I'm down here, which is uh, about another week, or I shouldn't say another week, it's Friday by now. The days, I swear to you, the days fly when you're down here, uh, especially when you're when you're as busy as I've been. But uh, I'll be leaving around Wednesday of the coming week. So I'll be here about five more days. And then even after that, you know I'll be plugged in to uh, the ongoings down here in Jupiter in so much as I can. And obviously I'll, I'll continue to give credit to the reporters that remain here um, because with, with things I've got going on, I just cannot afford to stay a little bit longer than uh, the, the nine or ten days that I plan to be here. So uh, we'll continue to, to give updates and credit where it's due as far as B-Shape Daily is concerned, but you can keep it locked and loaded right here for updates on all things Cardinals. Another example of which is the Alex Reyes thing, but I did want to dive in real quick before I get into Reyes. I know I kind of jump all around here, and that's, that's uh, my fault as a bad broadcaster, but the other track I wanted to mention with regard to Flaherty, and this uh, this does apply to Reyes as well, but it's the idea that the lockout really did hinder 
these players' abilities to get the best possible medical guidance that they could in a timely manner to be able to get their season off the ground in 2022 as early as conceivably possible. And that's honestly a shame. And it's through no fault of the players and really directly through no fault of the team because they just simply weren't allowed to interact with the players to where if those guys are in their offseason program and they've got an issue come up, you would think typically the first thing they would do is is get in touch with the, the team and say, hey, here's what I'm dealing with. How do you think we should proceed? And they can have meetings with doctors. They could go see them in person if needed and be able to, to develop a treatment plan or a plan of action to be able to get those guys ready as quickly as possible for the season. But once December 2nd hit, they were not able to do that. The players and the team could not interact. And so when Jack Flaherty had the issues come up, or when Alex Reyes had the issues come up where he says, man, I'm going through my program and I, I, it's not feeling right, they couldn't just call up team doctors and, and get that figured out. Uh, question was asked by Jeff Jones today of Mosaic, were these guys able to potentially go seek outside medical counsel during the lockout? And Mosaic basically said, well, they're human beings, and if they need medical attention, we're not going to – yeah, we're not stopping them from doing that. But it, it kind of the way that question is answered sort of leaves out the, the unspoken context of these players are typically not accustomed to having to consider outside medical counsel, right? they usually are able to have access to those team doctors. So that's not a question or, or a decision that they're typically forced to make. And so I think that is noteworthy to, to kind of bring up and say, like, technically, sure, the, the team players might have felt as though they could go elsewhere and and get, you know, get it looked at. But that's just not – for me, I'm trying to step back of it and imagine being in that situation. feels like it would be so far outside the bounds that I might be a little worried. To, and, again, we haven't – I haven't asked Jack Flaherty or Alex Reyes this – and if you did, you know, you may not get the, the the truth serum answer, and I wouldn't blame them for kind of being careful with their wording, but is it conceivable that you would be a, a, a pitcher 26, 27 years old under the guidance typically of your major league franchise, and then suddenly for multiple months you're not able to have contact, you, ha- you have some discomfort, and you have kind of some second-guessing sort of thoughts about how you're supposed to proceed with that? You know, well, should I go to an, another doctor? How would that look? Would the Cardinals get upset about that? Like, they weren't forbidden from doing it, obviously. But I, do I kind of question the, the extent to which it was laid out in black and white that, like, hey, yes, if this were to happen, here's what you should do and, and try to go get it taken care of? Uh, yeah, I sort of question that. And I don't think that was necessarily something that was explicitly laid out for the players. And the reason I say this was because Mosellock on Friday, in, in one of his answers, basically said, you know, there was not a, a, a concrete plan, a diagram, a flow chart, right, laid out for these players of, you know, here's what to do if you experience some soreness. He basically said, I, I would hope, and I keep saying basically said, what I'll do is I'll just pull up the story that I wrote for KMOV.com in which I used the quote. He said, I would think everybody that's been around this game sort of understands how to think through that, but we didn't have like a written strategy for what to do. So basically to think through, okay, do I stop? Do I pause my workouts? How do I approach this when I start to feel some physical discomfort? It basically, sounds like, yeah, the expectation was guys should use a common sense approach and stop if they think they need to stop, and then we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it when, whenever the lockout should be lifted. Well, unfortunately, the lockout wasn't lifted until about a month after a normal spring training would have begun, so they're just so far behind what they normally would be at at this point in the spring. And that, again, is the fault of... The lockout, which was facilitated and, and enforced by the owners of Major League Baseball teams. That's just the reality. The owners instituted the lockout, 
and you could make an argument. And again, I don't want to rehash the whole damn lockout. It was an obnoxious time to be following baseball. It sucked. But the reality is, if you go back and look at the negotiations, which were very public, and nobody likes it to be that way uh, because fans for sure got fatigued of the entire thing, and I don't blame fans for feeling that way. But when you look at the, the breakdown of what happened, it seemed like every time the players and owners got a little bit closer to maybe being able to get something done, the owners would come out with this new thing that suddenly was a, a non-starter. It had to be included or, or you were going to continue with the stalemate. And then the players would be like, okay, we'll give you this. Yeah, expanded playoffs. Okay, yeah. Well, you know, it, it just seemed to be one thing after another to where it was like the international draft is something that the players said they were told was, was not going to be pursued in the CBA. And, and that was weeks prior. And then next thing you know, it's suddenly the, the linchpin of the entire thing. And we've got to have it or we're not playing. It was a joke. And, and the owners continued to try to just maximize every little bit of leverage that they could get over the players. And, and what it did was it, it cost the fans there for a while. Luckily, they were able to get it figured out before uh, any games were actually lost, even though multiple times Rob Manford said, oh, yeah, it's a deadline. Games are going to be lost. Whatever. And so that's all in the past. I don't want to spend too much emotional energy rehashing it, but uh, the point I'm trying to make here is th- these guys were victims, innocent victims of the lockout. Alex Reyes, Jack Flaherty, they would have, and I'm not saying they would have been able to be in a better position than they're in right now, but it would have all been discovered sooner, right? They wouldn't have had to wait as long to get these diagnoses probably if they could have had that access to team doctors. So that's unfortunate. And let's get into specifically what it is for Alex Reyes because I am a, a bad podcaster and I have it said. So here's the deal with Reyes. We knew that he got an injection earlier in the week. That injection was revealed to have been a stem cell injection, not a PRP. It's a stem cell injection. I'm not an expert on the medical side of it, so I don't know what the difference is, but that's I'm just giving you the right information. When it comes to the timeline for Alex Reyes, Mosellock was more firm. He had a little bit more concrete detail today about what that looks like for the Cardinals relief pitcher, question mark. I know they talked about making him a starter, but that obviously the chip has kind of sailed at this point, but Reyes was an all-star in 2021, and now he's going to miss the start of the season and potentially the first couple months of the season for the Cardinals. As Mosellock said, they don't expect him to be back to game action until maybe late May, early June. And the reason for that is he's shut down for multiple weeks now, potentially as long as a month, as he he waits for the healing, hopefully, to take place with the stem cell injection. And what are they healing? It is a frayed labrum for Alex Reyes. So... You hate to see it. You hate to see shoulder issues for the guy after he's dealt with every other injury under the sun. Remember, he came up as a starter at the end of 2016, pitched his ass off in September, was great, looked like the next big thing, simply hasn't been able to stay healthy since. 2017 was was lost for him to Tommy John, and then in 18 he had the lat, the latissimus dorsi tear that ended up requiring surgery, and then 19 was a situation where he was trying to work his way back, had some ineffectiveness, went back down to Memphis, punched the door because he was frustrated, and then ended up really not making it back that season. 2020 had COVID, pitched a little bit, finally healthy physically, and then last year was was really good for the Cardinals. I know the way it ended uh, against the Dodgers, the Chris Taylor home run. That's not what anybody had envisioned for his season, but uh, he pitched so well, and and, and you you really felt the future could be bright for A-Ray. Uh, but now he's dealing with injuries again. And so that's got to be such a... I mean, this is a guy who has been such a trooper about just dealing with adversity and being able to work his way through things, has had more than his fair share, and, and has just been 
you know, such a consummate pro about the way he's gone about it. There's been frustrations at time, right? Like when you punch a door, you know that you're frustrated about some things. Uh, but I, I do believe that was his non-pitching hand, by the way. So he at least had the, the, the sense to, to do it that way. But, you know, he's just been a, a guy who's had to battle. And I just hate to see it for him as this was a year in which he was hopefully going to be able to build upon the success he had in 21. But now he's out till at least late May. I, I bet we don't see him till June. And, and that seems like it's under a best-case scenario kind of situation for Reyes and his recovery. So that's what we're looking at for two prominent Cardinals uh, as far as the pitching depth is concerned. Basically, when asked about what it might look like to be able to add from the outside to the pitching depth, knowing that the situation as it is right now, John Mozeliak didn't – I'm not going to say he didn't seem keen on it, but he basically said, you know, we'll always look outside, but those resources and, and the available options are dwindling right now as – Every day, more people continue to sign. And so uh, I know people on Twitter have been keen on on checking out what might be the interest in Oakland Athletics pitchers Frankie Montas and Sean Mania. Uh, you know, the, the degree to which the Cardinals are involved there, I can't really speak to. But what I will say is it has not typically been John Mozeliak's M.O., historically, I'm saying, to overreact to injuries early in the season, and even as the season goes along sometimes, if anything, the Cardinals have often been maybe slow to react to situations like that where they don't want to feel like they're in a position of desperation, and so they've got to make a bad deal. Even last year when they were in a position of desperation, they took their time, they evaluated, they gave up minimal pieces for John Lester and for Jay Happ, and ultimately that resulted in Lane Thomas, who he's going to be still probably a prominent player for the Nationals this year in their outfield mix. If he succeeds there, good for him. I root for the kid. He's a nice guy. I But it wasn't working in St. Louis. I mean, if you looked at Lane Thomas during portions of the last couple of seasons, the guy sometimes looked lost on the field. I'm not going to say disinterested, but it just it was not clicking for him, and so he needed a change of scenery, and that's what you lose. And then you lost John Gant in the other trade, and John Gant is now pitching overseas. He doesn't, he doesn't even have a major league deal for 2022. So, those are the kinds of deals the Cardinals and John Mosellock historically have looked to make low-risk acquisitions. It's why they continue to dig into the, the Euro, or not the European, but the, the Japanese and the, the KBO, those markets for guys that they identify that have been able to go from, you know, maybe not thriving in MLB. They go overseas, they figure out a way to, to right the ship, and then they're effective big leaguers again. That's Miles Michaelis. That's what they did with Kwon Young Kim. Uh, I shouldn't say again in his case. It was his first time in the big leagues when he came over here. But then they've done the same thing with Drew Verhagen, hopefully that he'll be able to contribute this year for the Cardinals. And, and certainly as pitching depth goes, they're, they're going to rely upon guys like him at this point to fill the void left by Flaherty, left by Alex Reyes. And so when it comes to trades, I don't know that the Cardinals are going to be first in line to make those deals happen. Mosellock always is trying to get the, the right value and make sure uh, that the, the deals that they do make are not overreactions. They're not, you know, quick to to jump into something that wouldn't be a good deal they're prudent about it and I think that's the way he'll approach this market I think he knows he's not dumb he knows that they're they're kind of up the creek right now with regard to their depth but I don't think you're going to see him just say all right well you can have Lars Newtbar and we'll we'll trade for a 30 year old pitcher who may not be signed long term I'm not up to date on on the Oakland guys, and honestly, I haven't looked too closely into it because I just haven't thought it viable to this point. But I don't think they're trading Lars Newbar to get those guys. I just don't think they, they, they want to sacrifice years of control, guys that could be a part of their future for uh, what may be considered a stopgap, even an elite stopgap, because those are two good pitchers for Oakland. And 
you know, you, you want to be able to have good good names in your rotation, but I just don't know how keen the Cardinals would be on that kind of deal at this point in time. And so we'll wait and see. It's it's always possible that they look to go another direction. But uh, for now, it's the, the likes of Drew Verhagen. It's the likes of Aaron Brooks, who pitched pretty well with the number of strikeouts in Friday's game against the Astros. It's guys that, you know, you might hear the name and say, really, that's who we're going with? But I think that's where the Cardinals are. I think they're going to try to be prudent about this. And I'm not saying it's going to work out for them. I, there are definitely questions right now about the depth of this team's pitching. But as it as it turns out, you know, they're, they're just going to have to kind of wade through that and approach it the best they can. Now, let's talk a little bit about what took place Friday. Adam Wainwright, two innings, 29 pitches, 23 strikes, gave up two hits and one run. And really only one pitch he said he would have liked back was an RBI double that uh, – gave up the run. I think the other hit was like an infield hit or a weak ground ball that was able to, to squeak through. Um, I'm kind of blocked in the press box. I got to be honest from where I'm sitting, I've got a big pillar that kind of blocks some of my vision. So I don't remember exactly what the hit was uh, that, that ended up being the, the run scoring hit. And the other one was an RBI double. And so Wainwright looked pretty good, felt pretty good. Uh, got a comebacker his way that I asked him about where he said, yeah, it's a new glove. That's why I didn't catch it cleanly. I'm going to have to figure out a way to, uh, to, to loosen that thing up. And then Derek asked him, you know, what do you do? Is there anything special? Do you, do you put it under your pillow? Do you microwave it? Like this, these are tricks of the trade that other players have obviously done in the past. You hear about some wacky stuff uh, when, when it comes to guys breaking the new gloves and as deadpan as can be, Adam Wainwright goes, no, I, I like to play baseball with mine. So uh, I don't think anything crazy for Wayno as far as breaking it in the new glove. But he, uh, he he was able to knock it down, get the ball over to first base, and get out of the inning. So that was good to see. Uh, we saw, what did we see? An Andrew Kisner home run. It was nice to uh, to see for him as he's been getting the, the catching duties so far in camp with Yadier Molina. And I've, I've multiple times tried to start this podcast, and then I've had to, to go back and do some writing. And so as I'm recording now, I'm, I'm doing it straight through, but I started over. And so I don't recall if I've mentioned, but if I did – uh, you're going to hear it again. Yadier Molina is reporting to camp, expected to be here on Monday, according to uh, Ali Marmal from Friday morning. So it's been Andrew Kisner so far, and I really do think you're going to see almost a different Andrew Kisner this year and a guy who's been working to really refine his offensive game because a guy that, that came up, you know, he's coming through the system. He's considered to be a pretty good bat, maybe a, a future major leaguer as far as his hitting ability. Didn't really know where he was going to fit defensively, but then was able to be a catcher and, and stuck at the position. And then he has worked really, really hard. Uh, and, and when you're in the footsteps of Yadier Molina, of course you're going to want to be compelled to do that to refine his defensive game and his pitch calling and his ability to handle pitchers. And he's gotten so much better at that, I think. And, and so that's been an area. And Ali Marmol said today, too, he's he's become more still when it comes to uh, his receiving the baseball. Actually, I don't want to misquote. That might have been Wayno that said that because both were asked about Andrew Kisner. But just people around the team talking about the way he's been able to uh, develop as a as a receiver of the baseball behind the plate. Well, that's a factor as well. But offensively, I think you might see a jump from Andrew Kisner this year. Now that he's been able to kind of feel comfortable as a backup and, and know that you're in the shadow of Yadier Molina and you want to be able to, to refine your skill in that regard. I think you're going to see a jump from him offensively. He's looked pretty good, uh, and obviously today with the home run, able to, to get a, a run for the Cardinals and contribute there offensively in this one. And honestly, when you when you get a chance to, and it's so great that we're back in the clubhouse now to be able to see these interactions, but Kisner is just one of the guys, and, and Wainwright even said this, he keeps it light. He's He's got a really good personality. Andrew Kisner's a good dude, and, and I hope Cardinal fans get to see a little bit more of what Andrew Kisner is about this year 
as he kind of really cements himself as a major leaguer, right? Because in previous seasons, it's like, well, am I going to be the backup? Am I going to get the chance? Is there always that threat that I get sent down to Memphis? Uh, last year, he was the primary backup, and this year is even more integrated, I feel like. And, and I, I think that's going to lead to Andrew Kisner having a really fine season uh, behind Yadier Molina. But Yadier is expected to be back at camp on Monday, and, and, and so that season between he and Wayno uh, can, can get off the ground running, ideally, here in the coming days. Another thing I wanted to mention, Nolan Arenado had a really good defensive play, had a two-RBI hit. That was a good line drive into left center field uh, that evaded the fielder just narrowly. He tried to slide, get the ball, couldn't do it. And so that was a couple of runs for the Cardinals to get them on the board in spring play. And then got a chance, uh, the media did, to talk to Nolan after the game. And it sounds like he really did some work on refining offensively and just the, the training regimen that he goes through in, in the offseason. He did a lot of work on that over the winter, and it's kind of crazy to say, oh, yeah, that's going to pay dividends, But it, because Nolan Arenado is already such a good hitter. He's historically been one of the best offensive third basemen in the game uh, of his generation, and the idea that he could get better is a little bit of a scary notion for the the opposition, really cool for Cardinals fans. But he did talk about the fact that he went to driveline for the first time uh, I believe that's out there on the West Coast, Seattle way. Um, and and that was with the encouragement of Lars Nupar, who Nolan said, you know, normally I, I the young player like Lars, I say, all right, shut up, kid, whatever. This time I happened to listen to him, and he really pushed Nolan to get out there to driveline with him. And, and Nolan, it sounds like, got some good data on, on some different things that he should be working with. He spoke specifically about the fact that he's really trying to work on keeping his hands back. Typically, he's been a guy who's focused on, uh, when he's refining his swing, really thinking about what his legs are doing, and, and he's put a lot more thought into where his hands are, he said, coming into this year. And so we'll see what kind of uh, dividends that might pay for him. He did face Justin Verlander for the Astros in the first at-bat, wasn't satisfied with how he how he did there, and said it's still that's a work in progress that he's going through right now with regard to kind of tweaking some things about his swing and hand positioning and things of that nature. But had a really good swing on the second one and uh, second at-bat of, of the game. And so I think you're going to see some good things from Nolan. And apart from that, he just, and I may have already talked about this on some of the, the B-Shape Daily episodes this week, but he just really looks comfortable at Cardinals camp. And that's not to say that he wasn't last year. And he wouldn't necessarily say today that like, yeah, it's such a massive difference, but it's just like, you know, I know where the locker room is now. I'm comfortable. I know everybody. I'm able to do my thing. I think it's more of that. But if you ask Ali Marmol, he really seems to think that that is going to be a massive difference for Nolan and I think you can just kind of, it's just a little sense that I'm getting watching him go about his day-to-day. He's just really in a good spot. I think Nolan's going to have, again, he had a really good season last year. OPS was down a little bit. But, you know, call me call me Cardinals homer guy. But I think you're going to see some good things from Nolan as well this year uh, based on what I've seen so far from him in camp and, and based on the way he's talked about his progression uh, as a hitter and what he's been trying to work on. All right, I've talked for about 35 minutes. I've skipped dinner. I, it's like 11 o'clock, so there's no way I'm going to eat tonight. I'm just going to have to go to bed and, and crash out. But uh, that, what I'm trying to say here is I'm done. Podcast over. I uh, I appreciate you guys for listening in to B-Shape Daily. Subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. I, those are the primary place to go. But you can do, do Google Pods if you do that as well. Uh, some other places you can find us. Uh, Anchor is a, another option as well. And, and you hear the Anchor ad at the beginning uh, bear with me on that. Got to have ads if I'm going to make a little bit, bit of money. You can also, uh, you know, my Venmo is open. If you want to do some financial con- contributions, I'll, I'll work on getting some sponsorships where I can really get this thing off the ground moving forward. But right now, folks, it's about recording daily, being disciplined as a as a, a podcaster dude 
to try and bring y'all the information that you want about your St. Louis Cardinals. I'm trying to be that guy for you, so it means a lot to me that you guys are listening, that you're enjoying the show. Reach out to me anytime. Direct message on Twitter, at bshafer12. Tell me what you think of the show. Tell me what you'd like to hear more of, what you don't think is very good. And I want to be the guy that uh, responds to your feedback. So appreciate you guys once again. I will try to get back with you tomorrow. It is an off day as far as the Grapefruit League play is concerned. No game for the Cardinals on Saturday, but they do have a camp day. And so I may or may not podcast uh, over the weekend, but I'll get back with you guys pretty soon for sure. The next game will be at Port St. Lucie on Sunday. Miles Michaelis expected to start against the Mets in that one at Clover Park. But uh, there will be plenty more to come. So appreciate you guys once again, and I will talk to you next time on B-Shape Daily. Peace!